Hello! Welcome to Fault Ego Episode Ek. Episode. Crikey, that was a good start, wasn't it? Uh, episode 30. Um, coming out a bit late again this week. Life keeps getting in the way. Although, the I wanted to pause uh, before putting this one up because um, I went on a silent retreat, which is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And... Um, I only got back from that on Monday. And obviously it kind of would defeat the point of a silent retreat if you (laughs) pull out your recording equipment in the middle of it. uh, Say, hey guys, sorry. Got to record a podcast, everyone. Get it out on time. It kind of would ruin the vibe. Um, Or I could have done it and it would have been a silent podcast, uh, which also... So either one of those two eventualities is not ideal, is it? Um... So I had to wait till I got home. Anyway, I just wanted to to quickly, I'll try and keep this a short one, but just uh, recount the positives uh, and some reflections on on what that experience was like. The um, so just a bit of background. So it was at a, it was at a forest monastery in the Thai tradition of uh, the Thai forest monastery t- tradition. Um, so you know there were monks around and. The schedule was pretty, I wouldn't say grueling, but it was, um, you know, it was bells at 5 a.m. and straight into, you know, get up, head to the, some little hall, corrugated iron little place um, for chanting and then meditating for quite a long time. I usually do about 20 minutes, um, but when we got there on the Friday evening, we did 20 and then... The Saturday morning it was I think it was like thirty, and then we meditated like four had four or five meditation sessions on the Saturday, and by the last one it was up to an hour. So it was you know it was, it was a continued and unrelenting assault on one's uh, stress levels, which really worked. Anyway, so it was it was and the setting was lovely. The setting really helps. Uh, in the in it was in Bundanoon which is in New South Wales, uh, kind of the Southern Highlands, I guess, is that what they're referred to? And extremely cold. Uh, it got down to about three degrees. Uh, it snowed in a nearby town at one point. Uh, so it was very, very chilly. And um, there wasn't any central heating. They had fireplaces, a few fires going here and there. But here's, here's what I, here's, here are my reflections. One, the fact that it's silent almost is enough in of itself i think as soon as you remove the impulse to comment on everything (laughs) it's basically the opposite of social media as soon as you remove one's impulse to comment on everything the brain really quietens down a lot already because you don't look at a sunset and then lean over to the person next to you and go i should say something about that sunset you know, you cease thinking, what's my take on this? What's my opinion on this? You know, the breeze comes through and you get chilly and you go, oh, my God, this is colder than that time I went on this holiday. Anyway, funny story. I was uh, in the French Alps and an immediate, you know, you're talking about yourself or you're centering yourself or you're activating your ego because um, you're thinking, I've got to, I've got to have my say on this particular moment or... Oh, there's a silence there. I need to fill it with a story. So in that, so in that sense, there's an immediate, uh, not cessation, but definitely a reduction in 
the fact in in sort of center in the habit to center oneself uh, from moment to moment or in the moment to moment. And so you become a sort of a passive recipient of everything that's around you because when you can't talk and you can't say anything, you can't observe or note your observations about what's going on around you to everyone else around you, you, all you can do is take it all in. And that puts you on the uh, on the back foot in the sense, you know, that you just have to sit there and it comes to you. It's not about you commenting on it. So just the silent aspect alone was fantastic. Um, and to smile at people and across the dinner table, um, you know, when you're late together, catch someone's eye at the end of a meditation session where, you, you know, you open your eyes and, you know, you can maybe catch someone's eye and uh, you just give each other a little calm nod. You know, it's not talking. We talk a lot, don't we? And, it's, and we're, unfortunately, um, even pre-social media, removing oneself from the conversation immediately it, it would have been a would have been beneficial because it's you know it's the same in the workplace you know small talk or i've got to feel that silence or you know social gatherings and stuff just constantly having to activate your ego by saying oh i've got to say something here i've got to be interesting i've got to have a funny story what do i think about this but then social media on top of that I mean, proactively asks, you know, what's going on right now? What do you think? Say something. Come on, Europeans. And to be rewarded for it, to be rewarded for excessive communication when actually the true reward comes, uh, the, the greatest rewards come from uh, preventing yourself from communicating, <laughs> I think, ironically. So it, that was lovely. The silent aspect alone, I would I would recommend it purely for that. Um. But then, obviously, yes, the setting helps, being surrounded by nature. Um, no phones. That was lovely. Um, so to have no phones and, and also pho photography was forbidden. <laughs> so you couldn't be, like, capturing them. I've got to capture this for the gram. I've got to get some content out of this silent retreat. No, you know, no, no, no. You just have to enjoy the silent retreat for what it is. Um, so the fact that you are in the most, some of the beautiful grounds i mean it's a, it was a 100 acres of just forest you know um and it was just lovely log fires in the middle of just patches of ground everywhere just to keep everyone warm and um delicious food vegetarian blah 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 like the fact that you couldn't take photographs of it again there's that there's that sort of reduction in um the impulse to capture it so you can share it with people later. Um, so that that really helps. It really helps you again. It's just just be there and be in the present rather than thinking, well, where, what angle should I get that photograph of that beautiful statue from so I can share it with people later? No, you just have to, you, you have to be a passive recipient of everything that's going on around you. So no photographs. The grounds were beautiful. To be surrounded by nature is really important and it's, you know, not in that extreme sense of going away and doing a silent retreat. I mean, you know, walking in forests, whatever, but it's, it's, a, it's a pleasant reminder that just that has such a calming effect. And to be surrounded by so much nature makes you feel very small. So there's another 
way that your um, your brain is quietened down a bit because you you suddenly realise you're not actually the most important thing. You're surrounded by wildlife and kangaroos and red foxes and flocks of birds and all this sort of stuff. When we meditated um, at night time, there were bats flying around the the hall that we meditated in. That was quite... And to, again, not to be allowed. I mean, the monk was seemed pretty happy about them. He didn't seem to care. So, it's again, it's like, well, if he's not concerned, I'm not allowed to be concerned. I just have to shut up. <laughs> quiet, quiet in my mind. So the setting was lovely. Um, and I, I think... I think this will be a short episode. That the final two things, really, that that I I found extremely extremely beneficial was the regimented, unrelenting assault, uh, in the sense that it was wake up, chant, meditate, have a lecture. The monk was allowed to talk. A lecture on the Dharma, like the teachings, uh, the Buddhist teachings, um, and he would interpret them for you. In a very, very accessible, friendly, lovely way. Quite, quite a good sense of humor as well. This monk, he was called Pramana from Thailand. Um, and then Tai Chi, which again, the way he orchestrated it was, you know, as we were doing it, he's reminding us what the purpose of this bit is and what this bit is and focusing on the breath. And um, so, and really, that's just another form of meditation. And then after Tai Chi, walking meditation then another lecture and then another sitting meditation <laughs> so and then chores uh everyone had to do chores to help keep the place tidy so we divided up into little groups and had to do our bit to help again very egoless it's like it's not like a res- it's like <laughs> when you stay at a hotel it's like no no you tidy my bedroom no no you i'm now tidying somebody else's bedroom not even tidying mine you know or tidying somebody the toilet block for all Every, I, I did the toilet block, which was, you know, it's not pleasant, is it? But again, it's not, so again, it's not about centering what, you're not there for a luxury retreat, you know. Uh, and then after that, more more meditating. And so it's just the, the accumulative impact of hours of meditation a day. Finally, you really start to get somewhere. Because I, I usually meditate for 20 minutes and that's enough to, to, well, 20 minutes to half an hour. I actually did 40 minutes this morning. I was quite lucky my kid slept in. Um, but, you know, in, in 20 minutes you can get somewhere quite interesting. In 40 minutes you can really start to feel something, a sense of oneness and interconnectedness. Hours and hours a day, I was on, I was somewhere else. Extreme calm, extreme sense of equanimity, utter peace, and also, again, a quiet mind, um, which I cherish so much because my brain is a mess. <laughs> anxious mess often uh too much going on in there i can't shut it up if i meditate it's like staring at a fucking circus um but a quiet mind and and just to be awareness just to be consciousness taking in the present moment was and to be able to sustain that i mean i i I can sometimes get there after 40 minutes or if i'm lucky 20 minutes and i'll there'll be like 10 or 15 minutes where i'm just you know pretty chill and aware and present and conscious but this with this lasted hours especially doing meditation and then a walking meditation so you go into the walking meditation already in a good spot and then you're walking through a forest in a state of absolute awareness 
was just miraculous. It's like you're taking in nature for the first time. A lot of things felt like it was interesting. I, I <laughs> again, part of my brain was like, I should tweet this when I get out, and I haven't tweeted. I've deliberately not because <laughs> I enjoy silence, right? Um, but I, I thought to myself, it's, it would be quite quite pithy to say, I can't believe it's taken me until I'm 40 years old to learn how to walk and how to eat <laughs> properly. Because when you walk, you walk in with a real sense of presence. And when you eat, you eat mindfully. And when you do the dishes, you know, and the chores, you do them mindfully. So it's like, yeah, I had to wait till I was 40 years old to learn how to walk and eat. Um, but that, that it, it is, you feel like you're doing it properly for the first time. It's like switching from, you know, black and white 2D to a 4K IMAX, you know, experience or something, you know. Suddenly it all becomes, it's everything becomes just a bit more magical. So I think that that's another reason for to, to be, to, that it's worth to go on a retreat is because, the intensity of the practice generates results in a manner that, you know, you, you might struggle to achieve by yourself, especially with, you know, family and kids. And it's like, well, most you can do is little snatches of 20 minutes here or there. But if you get away and go on something that's a bit more regimented and, and I say intense, but in, in, intense in a nice way, um, the accumulative impact of meditation, little break, cup of tea, more meditation, Tai Chi, meditation, then walking meditation, then dinner, then even longer meditation, you know. Um, it just, it really gets you somewhere quite special. Um, and to be doing it in a group, I think that, you know, it feels quite nice as well as a shared experience. Um, again, when you meditate by yourself, I'm often wondering about the benefits to me. But perhaps one of the nice things about doing a, a retreat with others is that, again, there's this ego chipping away at the ego, not centering yourself. Is you, you know, you're looking at other people who are also going through it and you're kind of quietly hoping that they're having a great time as well. Kind of start to think outwardly a bit more. So the silence is alone is worth it. The setting to be in nature for, for that long was lovely. The intensity makes it worth it, the regimented nature of it. Um, and then I think finally, the, the, to have access to or to be in the company of, I think this is the final point, the company of a monk uh, for that long. I say that long, it's only three days. So, you know, it's not even, you know, there are, this is me just dipping my toe in the silent retreat world, you know. You can do a week, months years you know i think i'd be very tempted to try at least 10 days next would be interesting but um but to be there with someone who the the values they are espousing the practice they are the the benefits they are purporting to you know their backing is evident in the manner in which they conduct themselves like they're living evidence of the thing that you're trying to achieve, um, you see the values pouring out of their skin. You see the oneness, the 
presence coming out of their eyeballs. The way they walk around, just the way they conduct themselves, you finally see that it works. Because, you know, I've, I've come at this rather academically and solo. You know, I've done this mostly by myself. I've read a lot of things and I've, I've read some books that are more on the kind of hippie woo-woo end of the spectrum and others that have tried to synthesize Buddhism with science and are very neuroscientific and talk about MRIs and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, so I've read a, a broad range of everything and I obviously practice quite diligently, um, again, solo. Um, I've taken my refuge vows, so that's like a, a commitment I've made. Um, not that I nail it all the time. I have, you know, I squash the occasional cockroach and then feel really bad about it. But, um, you know, I've, I'm vegetarian at least. Um, but, again, it's all self-generated and it's easy. It's one thing to read a book and to understand this belief system academically and, and, and to understand the methods academically, but to see it lived is extremely reaffirming and gives you a lot of motivation. Um, I mean, it's, it's just it's reassuring to know that it's sort of true. I mean, you're in the presence of someone who has like unlocked the secrets of the universe. It's quite, it's quite weird, actually, to come back from that, back to the TV, and it's like, you sailor coals or something, you know? The new smart Samsung Galaxy... Like, why isn't he on telly? Why isn't Monk Pramana on all the channels? Cons why doesn't anybody know who this guy is? <laughs> why? Tonight on the news, celebrity farts into a into a pie. I don't know. Like, whatever the fucking news is. I don't even watch the news. This is a confession. I, I write for a TV show called The Weekly. I only, I only write for it one day a week because um, they kind of roster people on and off, and I just do one day. And you're meant to have read the news before the meeting in the morning when you write, you start pitching stories. And I literally, I just get into the meeting and I open the news uh, as the meeting is is um, is underway because I don't read. I just refuse to read the news. And then they say, right, Jazz, you can do that story about you know Anthony Albanese visiting the King Charles or something. And I go right, and then I have to read up on it. But I just, I just don't, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll check the news like 10 minutes before the meeting, but I just, I just have no, I get into that meeting having no idea what's happened in the world. Because um, it's, it's the same thing that's always been happening, so I just I don't see the point in engaging in it. Um, where did this tr train of thread come from? Oh, yes, why isn't Monk Pramana front and centre? It's always just, yeah. And now we go to our celebrity correspondent. Tell us what's been happening. Well... <laughs> Brad Pitt uh, bought uh, some new shoes and uh, and then fucking, I don't know. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even make up news that's as mundane as how I perceive it, how, how useless as I perceive it, you know? Mark Wahlberg was spotted <laughs> buying some tarpaulin. <laughs> what? I don't need to know this. You know? 
King Charles's hands are what shade of pink? I just, you know, why is this? And so, you know, it's odd. Mark Wahlberg bought some tarpaulin. <laughs> Ranked number one on the Daily Telegraph's sidebar of shame. Um, <laughs> dear me. Here's a photograph of Prince Harry looking sad and up and to the left. Great. You know, but it's hard to go from that and TV and binging and Netflix and all that. And just and then and mortgages and you know, study reveals that, you know, this suburb is the most wealthy and all that sort of and then you just you go into this monastery and you sit opposite this guy and you're like, Oh, oh he's he's figured out the truth <laughs> of everything and it's coming out of him. And I'm not saying it's coming out of him in any mystic, weird aura sense. It's more like, you know, you know, when you like, I don't know, if you go, I remember when I was at university and like, you'd go into your supervisor's office or something and they'd be surrounded by books and they would, but they just, the way they sat and their posture, they just had like an academic air to them um, or a knowledgeable kindness. But you know, that times 10, you know, just emanating calm, happiness and joy. And you just you just know that he's he knows he knows what's going on. So from that perspective, it's worth going because it's not solo driven practice. It's not understanding ideas such as not self and mindfulness of breathing um, in an academic textbook sense. And like you've read the words and you understand the meaning the, the meaning of the words. There's one, but it's one thing to understand something academically. It's another thing to to feel it, um, to be true, and to actually experience it. Um, so to, it's worth it for that as well. So the silence, the setting, the intensity, and being with a monk, um, who's translating you know, the Dharma, the teachings uh, in ways that are accessible and making them, and also modern and relevant. He was talking about TikTok and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it's an extremely happy, knowledgeable, empathetic human being. And just to, so to see the proof, the proof in in him, he was the evidence, you know. It's like, what's that saying? You never trust a skinny chef because it's like they don't, it seems like they don't like their own food or something. It's like, you know, you would be disappointing if you went to a monastery and the monk was was stressful. Come on, sit down. <laughs> Cross your legs. Oh, anyway, let's get through this. You know, they've just really cantankerous and... Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, we're one with nature. Where's my coffee? Susan? Coffee, please. Jesus Christ, I've got a cracker of a headache. Fucking getting up early is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, the sunset. Brilliant. Fucking like I haven't seen that before. <laughs> you know, if he, if, he did, if if that was his opening gambit. Oh, great. Another sunrise. <laughs> you would go into that meditation session feeling a little bit un, unnerved <laughs> and not very reassured. Um but to see the proof of the pudding is in the is in the human 
and then he gets it and that just by sitting near him you go oh that guy actually knows it's odd i mean it's, it's so odd it's like you go to a dentist and you know how to make teeth healthy and what for you know you go to a surgeon like you, he knows the body you're sitting opposite this guy and you know he knows the secrets to pure joy and the true nature of the universe <laughs> it's like why why wasn't that job advertised to me when I was at the careers fair at school? Right now you can be an accountant, uh, a tax accountant, uh, corporate accounts. Um, you could be <laughs> an accountant on some sort of ship. Um, <laughs> or you could be um, work for the tax office. Uh, you could be a lawyer, you could be a tax lawyer, uh, could be an accountancy lawyer. Uh, an accountancy lawyer on some sort of ship. Um, <laughs> where was the job? Or you can be a vet, you know, or you can be an out-of-work actor, or you can see the truth as a job. <laughs> it's not really a job. He doesn't get paid, but, you know, the whole thing is run on donations. But, you know, where was that pitch? I would have liked to have known that perceiving the nature of the universe was a a uh, career path <laughs> anyway and um there you go uh, the, i will share finally a quick anecdote of a moment i had talking about you know the difference between understanding something academically and and, and feeling it for real was on the second day we'd had We'd done like three meditation sessions already and I was already feeling pretty great. Uh, and then we went into a walking meditation. I say I was feeling pretty great. There was an, a little nagging problem, which was it. I was getting quite deep into the sense of the meditation, but I did keep getting distracted. Thoughts would bubble up, um, which has happened to me hundreds of times. Um, but I think that the setting... My expectation was such because of the setting, because I'd bothered to go there, travel there, you know, um, and arrange all of this. Um, I was like, I, I really just, I really don't want to be distracted right now. I really do just want to meditate properly and not be distracted, please. So every time a thought would pop up, I get a bit frustrated. And I go, no, no, come on, just keep, you've, it, if you're going to get meditation right any time, now's the time, just don't get distracted, don't get distracted. Come on, let's just keep going. Um, and I thought that, and I'll have to, this is going to get complicated to explain, but I, let's say, so there's, there's the me, there's going to be multiple layers of consciousness here, like a lasagna. Okay. So at the bottom level there, there's me getting distracted. And I thought the me above that going, don't get distracted. So the, the layer of consciousness above the distracted self was the broader, bigger consciousness, pure awareness self who was looking down on the distracted self and going, come on, let's get on with it. But then weirdly, another layer of consciousness popped on top of that, saying exactly what I just said now, going, now hang on, what's going on here? So there's the bottom layer of consciousness and there's the me that's annoyed at myself for getting distracted. And that's the highest level, isn't it? Well, then 
So who am I now? Who's this talking? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm really concerned now that the second layer is scuppering things because it's okay to get distracted. But I, commenting on that is also it like, oh, no, I'm just I'm spiraling here. Um, so who's this third layer? Is this the highest level? And as this was happening, the monk said, and I can't remember what he said, I wish I remembered. But he said something that has clarified the nature of not-self and that all thoughts, no matter, that, no matter whether they appear to be an ally or a foe, you, you don't have to worry about whether they seem helpful or unhelpful because they're all not you. And so you shouldn't concern, overly concern yourself with any one particular set of thoughts or any particular layer of consciousness. It's actually, and it's actually an illusion that there are these higher lasagna levels. It's all just thoughts. And as soon as he kind of clarified that, and again, I've, I've read this academically and understood it academically before, but I've, I've never really felt it. But I think it was a combination of the sustained assault on oneself throughout the day that had got me to a decent place. The walking through nature, by this time it was golden hour, so that the sun was glinting through the trees. I think also, luckily, on this particular walking meditation, we did several, all of the participants stand in a line and walk in single file. And normally I was in the middle or at the back or randomly. This particular time I was behind the monk. So I had this lovely experience of walking through a, a glinting forest behind him. And so I think the combination of all these factors just somehow turned his words into actual meaning. Like I genuinely understood what he was talking about for the first time. And instantly all the layers of the lasagna flattened. So there was the distracted thoughts. There was the me going, don't get distracted, come on. And I suddenly realized that the me going, don't get distracted, let's focus, wasn't an ally. That wasn't the higher self whose target is let's meditate properly, guys. It's just, it's just the distracted self in different clothes. And then the version above that going, oh, this is a bit troubling. Look, they've got, I've got two layers. That also is just another thought. They're all, so suddenly all thoughts become flattened and democratized. No one of them is more truer you than any other. And so suddenly it kind of just squashed the lasagna more into like some kind of hideous, what more would happen if you squashed the lasagna? Just a one-dimensional flat meaty cheese pancake. <laughs> a disc of meat and cheese and pasta. Um, it just flattened them all so that they were all of the same category. They were all just of thought. And finally, the me the higher consciousness, the me that I thought was the second level, going, come on, let's meditate, who I thought had meditation's best interests at heart and was the higher version, the one that was looking down on everything. Suddenly, now I really was the pure awareness, the pure consciousness looking down, them, down on them all. Um, and I could see that they were all just thoughts popping up in my head doesn't matter what level they are 
and they were all coming and going, coming and going. And he also said that, yes, the, you know, it doesn't matter what the thought is. It doesn't matter if it's a good one, a bad one. If it's a good thought, it will come and go, which is a shame. If it's a bad one, which you don't like, it will come and go, which maybe is a good thing that it goes. But it doesn't matter. All They're all going to come and go. And because they're all going to come and go, and because you're not thinking them, and again, I've talked about this in previous episodes where if you meditate, you can actually see thoughts thinking themselves. It's not you consciously choosing to think them. Thinking is just what the brain does. It's like what, you know, the lungs breathe. The brain consciousnesses, you know, that's just what it does. Um, So it's not you. And so suddenly, and again, I wish I could remember what he actually said, but in explaining that none of this was me and there is no you. It, oh, hello. Jesus Christ. That was a bit weird. I knocked a button. Um, that would be weird. Uh, that's just what happened to my voice. Uh, at the time, I became... <laughs> I, came, I became an angel of the heavens. Um, and I just knocked a button by mistake. But by not being... Um, if there's no self, because this was the other problem, I was chastising myself. I was saying, stop it. Come on, you want you want to meditate. Stop being distracted. But then I realized if there's no me, then there's no one to blame for these thoughts because the thoughts are thinking themselves. So suddenly it robbed that second layer of its frustration because I realized it's just a sea. It's just a maelstrom of thoughts. And if there's no if there's no real concrete I, then there's no one to blame f- for being distracted, which is nice. So suddenly I stopped blaming myself for being distracted. And I just allowed the distracted thoughts to happen. And by allowing the distracted thoughts to happen, they were robbed of intensity. And by flattening the pancake and seeing all these thoughts come and go, I, the, the me that is consciousness was allowed to rise up and, and look down on it all. And slowly, calm set in. And suddenly, with a sense of not-self, the blame for being distracted went away. So the second layer, which is which was now just somewhere in the pancake, <laughs> was excised out. Which meant the layer above that going, oh no, this isn't going well, also went. Because the only reason you can think this isn't going well is if you're attached to an outcome. But if there's no I, there can be no attachment because there's no one to be attached to anything. There's just thoughts. There's just constantly changing thoughts. And he kept saying, just keep repeating yourself, not me, not mine, not my, not I. If you're having trouble, just repeat that. These None of the thoughts are yours. And so slowly... For the first time in a long ever, I think I just I really felt a, a real sense of absolute equanimity and um, and, I, and was just consciousness. Because once the calm settled in, then the distractions went away as well because the brain just quietened down. But it's so fascinating to observe firsthand by lifting the you know lifting the the boot the bonnet of the car up and tinkering it inside so interesting looking inside just what an enemy to your own sense of calm your own thoughts are and the thoughts that you think are you 
that has your best interests in mind. So in my case, the, the level of thought that was, come on, we, we, we really want to meditate properly here. So just stop getting distracted. Actually is a false friend. It's an enemy. So it's, it's a friend in, well, it's a, it appears to be a friend, but it's actually an enemy in disguise. It's just, a, it's this, just the distracted thoughts in different clothes. It's another way of being distracted. But if there's no self, then there's no one to blame for thinking these things. So suddenly I was off the hook, which made me relaxed. And if there's no attachment, there's also no... If you can't get attached to anything, then there's no um, getting attached to an outcome. Like, I, this meditation must go well. Well, that's just a thought as well. It's not what I... You know, say I. It's not what I actually think. But there is a thought in there that is attached to the idea of this meditation going well. But again, that's not me. So if there's no me, there's no blame for distraction. And if there's no me, there's no attachment to an outcome. So if there's no attachment to an outcome, there's no frustration when that doesn't go well. Because no one is attached to it going well. And so slowly all of these thoughts just get robbed of their, you know, the wind gets sucked out of their sails. But the ego is the wind, really, that fills the sails of thoughts and gives them shape and strength and speed and power and motion. And if that goes away, if you practice non-attachment and you practice no, the, the concept of no self, suddenly all thoughts become democratized and flattened and robbed and some of them will disappear entirely, some of them will be calmed down, they'll go from fires to embers... But even if they're still there, you're now above it all. That's just non-judgmental awareness. And that was the first time that really, really kicked in in a profound sense. I've had moments like it before, but not like that. And for that moment, for that moment alone, it was worth the three days. Because it was a sense of equanimity like nothing else I've, I've felt. I, I dearly hope I can bring that to um, just my ongoing life, I guess. Um, we'll see how we go. I imagine I was <laughs> my kid will say, I, I didn't ask for chicken for dinner, I wanted fish. And I was instantly like, fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, I'm straight back into being an ego again. Anyway, it was delightful. So in summary, uh, the silence is worth it. The setting is worth it. The intensity is worth it. Being in the presence of a monk is worth it. Um, all of these things together can generate a, quite a profound outcome. Um, but don't be attached to that. Don't go to a sound retreat now on my recommendation and then be like, yes, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Because you've got to realize that the thoughts that are thinking it's going to happen are not to be trusted and they're not you. But again, if there's no self there's no attachment and if there's no attachment there's no attachment to an outcome and if there's no attachment to an outcome there's no frustration when it doesn't go right and if there's no self there's no one to blame for thinking the distracted thoughts so you can't even get angry at yourself and so suddenly everything just becomes calm and everything just becomes just becomes yeah a democratized flattened disc of thinking which you are now above anyway I'll stop there um, so yes, silent treats, absolutely worth it. Um, 
and yeah, I would just just go to one. <laughs> Um, and even and if you don't go to one, I would take the silence as a strong message of communicate less, absorb and receive more, because that in itself is a great ego reducing exercise. It's not wonder what should I be saying right now about the world, but just to to let the world be what it is, and you're just a lovely observer of it. Um, we're not all agents. We don't all have to be agents in our own movie where we're the main character all the time. Um, and that's that is that I think so anyway, I hope you enjoyed that um, that monastery was the Sanatarum Forest Monastery in Bundanoon if you're interested I think they have like one retreat a month um, so look that up and this podcast uh, if you enjoyed it uh, you can support it on Patreon and uh, please do <laughs> if you can doesn't matter if you can't but it would be nice i hope you found that useful and uh, i'll chat to you again soon thank you very much